iCloud got hacked too. Your, but, uh, your iCloud got hacked as well? Yes, but the hackers decided to delete all of the my naked pics. It's just didn't think that the world was ready for them. So oh, they're there. They still have them. They'll release them someday when the world <laughs> needs them most. <laughs> I don't think any, I don't think anybody wants to see when times <laughs> when times are most dire. They're going to 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 release them. Then I wonder if maybe they're saving them and they're going to use them to uh, combat ISIS. You know, like, I mean, th- yeah. That- Roll, roll up a photo and stick it in a bottle and then <laughs> maybe it'll no, be Michael. like the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark and they'll just exactly. have a big old like box and they'll open it of, and of Luc- heads will just melt of Lucio nudes I like it yep. it's so beautiful they disintegrate themselves shut your eyes Marion <laughs> exactly yeah, I think that's exactly what's going to happen is that her name's Marion so, they're, they're really oh. heroes if you think about it, right? I mean, this is this is the natural order of things. Uh, as long as I didn't see them, I feel like we're we're pretty much good. <laughs> well, you know, if it makes you feel any better, I made that up. I don't have iCloud. <laughs> I use Android. I thought you were being very <laughs> sincere. I was pretty sure that you had loaded your iCloud up with nudes because everything I know about you says this fucker takes a lot of nudes. I mean, Lucio, now you don't have iCloud, the terrorists win. The only reason that I keep close on is because society demands it. There you go. <laughs> well, hey. Hey. Welcome to the Enemy Slime Podcast. This is episode... Did we decide it was 45? We did. Yes. This is episode 45. We've gone so far that we don't even know anymore. Uh, we have to actually look it up. I think every week we have to look it up because I have no idea where we left off. This was a lot easier when we were back at like 10. I had it pretty yep. figured out there. So, uh, But hey, I'm here with you, Jared. You may notice that we uh, missed last week, and that's mostly because I had a flight that got delayed a little bit coming back from Seattle. Um, Mr. J. Joseph is not with us any, any longer, uh, passed, passed on. But in his place, we have Lucio Lorenzino. Hello. Now everybody can look my notes up on uh, iCloud who may or may not have nudes on iCloud so if you're listening hackers this is this is your chance this is your big break come at me <laughs> and then we also have Doug Wilson with us I don't have nudes but if you send me an email I will send you a nude in the mail oh so like a printed one uh-huh a paper copy i mean which ironically is now the safest way to store your nude photographs yes it is there's something there's something that feels weird about that to me. I know, right? Like we went, we went too far. That used to that used to be the worst. <laughs> that that was the worst way to store a nude photograph of you, uh, you know, to have it have a physical presence. But now it's almost the opposite, where it would be much safer to have it printed out. Like the old school Polaroid that didn't leave like a film or anything. Safest, yeah. safest nude. Yeah, that's the best method. And it can be disposed of really easily because you just stick it in a fire. And the mm-hmm. best part is after you stick it in a fire, you don't have to worry about someone like recovering it from a deleted drive or something. Exactly. Uh, this is just how it's going to happen. We're going to slowly the we're going to slowly like regress away from the technology and we'll just be back in, in the Stone Age. It'll be as God intended. It'll be dope. Um, but anyway. Let's talk pornography, about pornography takes takes it away. Let's let's talk about what's in the news because a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of news be happening out in the out in the game world. 
don't know if you guys heard, but there's, you know, there's lots of stuff going on. And I think let's talk about the big thing that is on everybody's mind this week. It's kind of the skeleton in the closet, and I know that we have to address it. There's just no way around it. So let's just go ahead and get it over with. Uh, Today, it was announced that Shadow of Mordor uh, would be delayed on past-gen systems until November 18th or the 21st, if you live in Europe. So the... uh, the the PS4 and Xbox One versions are going to launch on September 30th, just like normal. But the previous gen stuff is is now delayed until November. So there you go. We got it out of the way. It's off the table. Do you guys have I'm any? Not, do you guys have anything to add to that? Or I'm not sure I'm comfortable talking about such a divisive topic. I and people fall into one of two camps. You either want them to release it now, even though it's clearly in need of more work. Or you are happy about the delay and perhaps even think they should delay it further. And really, you can only have one of those two opinions. Yes, um, there's no middle ground here. There's no middle ground. We couldn't, we couldn't release it in, say, like October. Uh, no. That's, that's it. So you're, you're either for it being released or you're against it. Anybody who's like in the middle will just get killed by both camps. Right? Yeah. There's a no man's land in October. This has been everywhere for the last like two weeks. People have been talking about it before. I mean, the the delay was just announced today, but I feel like it's I feel like it's reached its apex finally. Kind of a fever pitch. So I don't know, man. I think this will go on for a while. You think this is you think this is like here to stay? I mean, I've never seen such uh, passion for a topic before. I, do you think that even after the game has released, that people will still feel this strongly about it? Yes. So it's still people, stronger. people who people who, who wanted it to be released in November are not going to be able to enjoy it at all, even if they have it with them. It, right, because they're gonna they're gonna finally get a hold of it, and at this point, it's overhyped, and they've probably read spoilers on the internet, and um, you know, I mean, the whole experience is. And, and you know, here's the, here's the real thing: is some people are just looking for any reason that they can to be unhappy, and. Sure. I think that's really the case here with the detractors and the people in favor of the delay. And really from the other camp, too, because they're going to find a, a way to be unhappy as well. So exactly. It's not even about the game anymore. It, it's, it's about the, the offense that so has, been, has it, happened. It, it, it almost is like that. It, it becomes more of an issue of philosophy than it does uh, video games. And here at Enemy Slime, we always try to keep it on the video game scene. And that's why... That's why we've we've been hesitant to even talk about it until now. Exactly. So because this is about winning the argument. It's not no longer about the games. Right. We're so we're so past that. It's not even funny. Like you would to hear people talk about this issue, you wouldn't even know that they they played video games. Like are video games even a part of this anymore? Uh, they're they're almost more concerned about time and release schedules and just philosophical stuff like that than than the actual content. Like, are are there still orcs in the game? We don't know. We don't know because what we're worried about is if it's too close to Christmas or Thanksgiving or if maybe it's not close enough. That's, are we going to compete with Call of Duty or not? That's true too. And I mean, is there is there a benefit? Like, am I going to be able to uh, to call Grandpa Rex over from the from the dinner table and say, Grandpa, look at my uh, Lord of the Rings game. And he, he loves it. He loves Lord of the Rings. He was uh, around when, when Tolkien was a boy writing his uh, fantasy books. And so, you know, that's... He got him on release. He camped outside a bookstore. 
yeah, well, and so that's a bonding moment. But if he bought the game on the current gen systems, he's already played it weeks before, and Grandpa Rex is probably going to die before Thanksgiving anyway, so maybe it doesn't even matter. Well, and at least he's going to call you a casual, right? Because you only have a pastion system. So anyway, I but guess... You, who wants to be treated like a casual by their ancestors? It's uh, So like I said, like we've said, I, I know it's polarizing. I know it's divisive. I want to make it really clear that we don't feel one way or the other. Uh, it, it, there are pros and cons to both sides, and everybody's making good points, but it's just gone so far off topic that I, I don't feel like it's a discussion that we have any any place in at this point it's really just you know this is this is a problem for smarter people than me to solve yes so anyway that's the last that i think we're gonna talk about that uh it's it's heavy stuff and i i just I, i'd prefer to just leave it there so does that work for you guys is everybody cool we're cool okay wonderful good, good. let's talk about maybe happier news right because happy things are happening uh, out there i would say probably the biggest news from today is uh a little, little, little game called called destiny came out you guys heard yeah, of that oh. one nope okay is that the one with the swords let me paint a picture for you you know uh you know mr chief from no. the, from the uh from the hello series yes or uh hey h- hello yeah hello is that one where you run a like a diner and you have to get everyone's orders right? No, that's Diner Dash. Um, oh, this is the one where you there are actually like three games, but in one of them you make cakes, and so you have to squirt the cake into the tin, and then you put frosting on it, and then you have to, and it has to match the cake that's on the picture. Wait, well, you're know, talking about Master Chef, that that show or the cooking show? Yeah, with Gordon Ramsay and uh, Graham Elliott and Joe, the other one, Joe. Yeah, I didn't know they had a game. That sounds great. Yeah, it's just coming out now on the Wii. Um, Destiny, actually, all, all kudos to Bungie, because Destiny just uh, made kind of a, a weird record that they set. This is sort of an odd record to have. It is the most pre-orders for a new intellectual property of all time. So... Uh, if you look at like Call of Duty pre-orders, they surpass it. But Destiny has the most pre-orders for a brand new series that nobody's ever seen before. Well, I think they deserve another order uh, award because they launched a game and it actually worked. I actually, in all credit to them, I I was starting to think that this would never happen again, where a game would come mm-hmm. out and it would work on launch day. And so I am so pleased that this has gone as as smoothly as it has like i heard there were a couple disconnects but that's about it and you know the thing is is nobody's noticed i haven't seen a single person point out how extremely extremely well this launch has gone for them uh it, it literally could not have gone better and i know that after we finish this podcast and i go downstairs to boot it up it's going to be down because i said that yes but for now kudos to them but for now, mad kudos to them because plenty of other companies that are even bigger than Bungie have. I mean, Activision, of course, is publishing, so they they should be able to you know finance this oh, properly. Come on, man! Like fucking Rockstar couldn't get this right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're, you're gonna tell me that there's more a company with take two behind them? That's that's my point, right? Is that I think games that are even less big than this have uh, failed to launch nearly as well. So well, I think a lot of it had to do is the fact that they they 
did the alpha and the beta and they let so many people try it that it gave them a good idea of of how much traffic they can expect. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I I feel like a lot of games have betas and it almost feels like they take whatever information they get from them and they're just like, eh. Uh, Nowadays, a beta is almost less about stress testing and more about marketing. Yeah. Oh, like the the Battlefield Hardline. That was clearly a marketing ploy. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I do, you know, I wonder if perhaps Bungie did this really weird, crazy thing where they took the beta, which, by the way, also pretty much worked flawlessly, and uh, you know, actually utilized the numbers and, and the the ideas that they got from it. Well, I think there was one day where they just—I'm uh, not sure if it was for PlayStation Four or both of them—where they just there was a couple of days where they said any anyone who has the PlayStation or an Xbox can download the beta. It would you didn't even have to have a key. Yeah, it it had gone so swimmingly for them that originally it was just if you had a pre-order for the game, um, and, and it launched first on PlayStation. But anyway, by the end of it, they had completely done away with that. And they're like, if you want to play the game, just come play the game. Might as well open the floodgates and, and that there's you'll get a lot less shit if your beta goes down versus when the launch goes down. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. So all credit to them. Uh, it, it's gone really, really smoothly. And hopefully it will continue to do so as we uh, as we move forward. But yeah, anyway, so I think for the most part, that's pretty much it as far as news goes. Destiny came out, which is huge, and uh, and then the other thing that we won't talk about because we already covered it. So, right. Um, I don't know if you guys have anything else specifically that that was working on your mind, but if not, I thought that maybe we could take a second to talk about PAX. We should because I went to it, and I feel like I did somewhat ample coverage, and I've got a little bit more that I'm working on. But it's not quite ready to go yet. Uh, but I saw a lot of games there, and some, some, some good, some bad. Okay, hey, let's let's talk about it a little bit. I guess maybe the first one to mention is I did finally get some hands-on time uh, with Shadow of Mordor, and it feels like there's no way to really discern this from the demo. But mm-hmm. I don't know how much you guys know about the game. But have you followed the Nemesis system that they put together at all? No, I haven't followed it at all. What about you? I know a little bit about it, um, but not just mostly like kind of a general overview. And I, I may not have all the all the details on it as well. But here's here's basically like a rough overview. So the game has for, the game seems to be relatively open world. It, it seems like as soon as you get dropped in it, you can pretty much go wherever you want. I was asking some pretty specific questions about how much would be available like the second you start the game up. And the guy who was demoing it for me was kind of hesitant to answer that. So I'm not sure if everything is locked at the beginning or not, but it feels very open. So the the part of the game where I stepped in, there are basically four generals that you're trying to track down and kill. And there's this screen that you can access at any time where it shows you those four generals and then it shows you all the soldiers that they have under them in like order of ranking. And so the way that you defeat these generals is by killing or utilizing their underlings in some way. So they're not going to show up on the map until you've achieved like a certain number of quests to get them to appear. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can handle this, but the concept of the nemesis system is basically these, these NPCs are kind of half randomly generated. They have all these traits and stuff to them. Um, 
that are I don't want to say randomly assigned, but they're they're kind of shuffled a little bit. And uh, so you may have a guy who is you know scared of fire, for example, or scared of uh, spirits or this or that. And when you encounter this guy and you fight him, depending on how that fight goes his opinion of you may change. So, for example, if you're not a high enough level and he repels your attack, he'll actually remember that, and the next time you encounter him, he'll point it out. Or if you knock him out but you fail to kill him, then the areas that you've hurt him, he'll get scars, and he'll remember that the last time he saw you, you scarred him or you did this to him or that. Mm-hmm. And so these these NPCs like actually like talk to you before each big fight with them, and we'll, we'll kind of give you like a recap of what your history is with them. And then based off that, you can make a lot of choices. So if you've beaten a guy before, he'll probably be afraid of you. And he may go and tell like other soldiers that you're this big scary guy and make you out to be more scary than you are. You can even get some people to defect and be on your team, essentially. Uh, but it's a really cool system. And to watch it demoed, I, I was like, I don't think this is actually going to work the way that they're showing it, just because it, it felt very lofty. Um, but at least from what I played, it seems like it does work exactly the way that they showed it. So, so why is there Assassin's Creed using this thing? Because, like, really? And, and you know what? To be honest, that's totally what this game feels like. Yeah, that's what, when you were talking about, like, fighting for generals, and you know, I was like, that sounds, that sounds like the best Assassin's Creed game I haven't played in a while. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's actually exactly how I would describe it, is the, the, and the combat even plays very similarly to, like, Arkham uh, games, and, and of course, Assassin's Creed, because they all have kind of that really simplistic single button and then countering. So the combat works very much like that. And even the guy looks like he's from Assassin's Creed. The guy looks like he's from Assassin's Creed. You kind of have a lot of free-running abilities, so you can climb stuff really easily. The, the whole game puts off this Assassin's Creed vibe a little bit. Were there I mean, more enemy types than just orcs? Or were there like goblins and the big troll dudes? Or is it just orcs? Um, mostly what I fought in the demo were uruk High. I'm not, I'm not a big Lord of the Rings guy, so forgive me if I fuck this up, but... From what I can tell, the Uruk High are like the low end people, the grunts, and then the orcs are the higher ranking individuals. Um, I did encounter a monster, like a really tall, big monster. I have no idea what it was called. I can't remember the name. Um, but actually, I was even able to eventually tame him and use him as a mount. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And so it was really fun to see like this world kind of interact without me. I always like a game that does that, where if you go into it and you just stand there, things are going to happen around you, even though you're not doing anything. So I went and I tamed this mount and I started riding it around and then I got bored and I jumped off of it and ran somewhere else. And I turned around a little bit later because I heard like this fight going on behind me and my mount had actually gone and attacked one of the camps full of orcs. And it actually, it actually killed, it wound up killing one of the high-ranking guys. And, nice. uh, and I wound up not necessarily getting credit for that, but like he got crossed off my screen and everything. Nice. Um, the other kind of cool thing that happened is I had, I had cleared a couple of people off my, off my screen because they were dead. And then I got into a big fight and wound up getting killed. And the uh, Uruk-hai that landed the killing blow on me, he basically winds up becoming famous because he killed me. And so like he gets a name attached to him and he gets all the traits attached to him. And then he appears on that screen amongst all the high ranking soldiers. 
uh, <laughs> even though he wasn't even you know an important person at all. And so I don't I don't know it it that demo felt really real to me like it felt very representative of what I expect this game to be like when I get my hands on it, and I really really enjoyed it. I I think that uh, I thought that the system seemed pretty lofty, and I kind of had envisioned it sort of like Watch Dogs, where it seems very important, and then when it comes out, it actually isn't very important at all. But this feels like the complete opposite. This feels like they you know, built this concept and really built the entire game around it. And, uh, and, and I think it's, I think it's going to work really good. I'm actually really excited to play this. I mean, you actually picked my curiosity. This wasn't even on my radar. And, um, so just a, a little sidetrack. I've been playing black flag to get ready because I have to review, uh, what's this called? Rogue? Rogue, yeah. Right. So, you know, I figured I'll get caught up since it looks like they're kind of related. Mm-hmm. And this sounds like a much better game than Black Flag <laughs> when it comes to an Assassin's Creed game. I mean, I obviously can't make that delineation because I, I didn't play the whole game or anything like that. But if what I played, if the small fraction that I got to play with is at all representative of what Assassin's... or uh, uh, I'm sorry, of what the final product will look like, then... I think that this could definitely be like an Assassin's Creed killer for me. I don't I don't know so much about the branding. Like I feel like a Lord of the Rings game will make money cuz it's a Lord of the Rings game, but do people really get excited about those? Like they don't really have a track record of being I think they have a better track record than some franchises though cuz I remember the old ones I I wasn't sure if it was for PS2 but or PS3 it's when the movies were out those just like hack and slash games those were actually fairly competent games yeah there was yeah. one there was one i remember that everybody loves i i don't remember if it was i want to say it was return of the king but um they they've done okay i don't know that's just it's not high on my list and then the other thing is this game takes place in between the hobbit and fellowship and i'm not a huge lord of the rings fan but i know that the story to this kind of interferes with other things that we know about the series and i know that a lot of fans are like butthurt that this game even exists yeah Yeah, i I think that might be a bigger problem is that they now that they're in the lord of the rings universe even even if though they are taking some liberties they've kind of hamstrung themselves with the lore they can't ever go too big or anything like obviously uh, i don't think your character is ever going to fight a balrog which would be pretty cool but i don't think that's going to happen you you might. I don't know. This game's pretty I, over the top. I think that would be great. If they just threw it out and said, this is like an alternate universe Lord of the Rings, go right ahead. I think that sounds really cool. And then no, I can I do whatever the fuck I want in the story. And Lord of the Rings fans are, even amongst fantasy fans who are known to be uh, extreme, I think Lord of the Rings are especially picky about the lore. Yeah, I think just so. Because I'm, just, I'm talking raw so much fucking material. Like, it's not just a trilogy. There's like books upon books of shit that he just wrote about the lore. But either way, uh, I I really like the game. I think it's I think it's cool. I I think I claimed it in our giant list of games that we're gonna uh, yes. be reviewing this fall. So I should pick that up towards the end of the month when it comes out. Your flag is on that uh, on that piece of land. Yes, I have claimed it, and uh, I'm glad I did. It was it was very fun. The other. I didn't play a lot of AAA games, and that was mostly because 
it, it was kind of twofold. Uh, one, it was because I already played a lot of them at E3. And then two, it was because a lot of them didn't take press appointments or like you had to be much more special than me to get a press appointment for it. And I just didn't think it was worth waiting in the lines. So like uh, I saw Dragon Age at E3, but it wasn't playable and it was playable at PAX, but it had just a ridiculous it must be like a 20 minute demo because it felt like they were just getting one person in there just every half hour. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so they let the press in uh, an hour early on the first day. And I went straight to dragon age just because it was right in the front. And I waited for like 10 minutes and I was like, you know what? No. <laughs> so, it's still worth it anyway. So it got even worse when they opened it to the public and they had it situated in like the worst possible place to have a line where it was in a walkway pretty much. So, so we will play Dragon Age two here, right? And one, uh, everybody here played Dragon Age two, I think. Right. Yep. So fortunately, are you guys excited about this? Because I mean, I'm kind of, it looks okay, but it looks like it, I, 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 I got burned. I got burned pretty bad last time. You know what I mean? I'm, so here's the thing you don't walk up and play this demo and then go into tactical mode and like you know play dragon age the way i played the original um everyone who's playing it and i don't know if this is just because they don't know or they don't care but everybody who's playing it's pretty much just playing it like dragon age 2 where they're just pushing the button over and over again to do attacks until they win so i know the game can be played a different way but it obviously, based off that demo, doesn't seem necessary. Nobody seemed to be playing it that way. It looked a lot like Dragon Age 2. Matter of fact, while I was, I, I was over in that section a lot, and I heard a lot of people remark that when they walked by. They like looked at it, and they're like, oh, Dragon Age! And then they'd watch it for a second, and they'd be like, ah, it looks like Dragon Age 2. <laughs> I don't necessarily have a problem with it playing like Dragon Age 2. It was really simplistic. But a lot of my issues stem from that. It just seemed so lazily made. And they took oh, it yeah. seemed they made so many shortcuts. Yes. So if if everything that I was told in the live demo and, and that's the thing, is I don't feel like you could get a demo at PAX of this game and really have a good feeling of whether or not they're gonna deliver on what they've promised. Because all the things that they're promising are stuff that you can't really verify until you have the game in your hands. So like like the final copy, so that you can look at the map and look at the zones and see if they really are as big as they claim. I think I've, I've said this in the chat, but like as long as they actually, I get to visit a little bit more varied environments than just the three that you'll spend a 20-hour game through, I will find it to be an improvement. And I agree on that. But what really bothered me about Dragon Age 2, besides the fact that they, not only that they, Reused the same locales, but even when you went to different caves, it was the same fucking cave map. But that's beside the point. I didn't um, mind that they it was always it was all in that one city. That didn't bother me. It was like what you said that all, like all the dungeons were just there were three tile sets of dungeons, and it was just slightly randomized for what. Was, no, no, no. Did. It wasn't. It wasn't randomized. It was the same map, and what they did is this door is now locked, and you can go through. You yeah, go through or or, or, or you do it in a, in reverse or something like that. Yeah, and, exactly. So and you got to the point where I already knew where the enemies were gonna were gonna spawn, because they always spawn in the same place. Yeah, the traps were all in the same places. But um, what the other thing about me is when I played Dragon Age Origins, I really liked it because it was very tactical. And towards the end of the game, you were kind of like this, you know, death machine that could trample to everything. 
But when you go to a dragon, for example, uh, the first time there was there's a soft, the optional dragon, I went there the first time it like destroyed me, the second time it destroyed me, the third time I kind of got the hang of it, and you know, it took me four or five tries, but I killed it, and it felt really good. The same thing with the archdemon. The archdemon took me maybe five or six tries too to kill, right? And you have to be very tactical. You have to know what you're doing. You have to make sure that you know your people have the right equipment. When I, I came to Dragon Age 2... Yeah, it didn't feel like that at all in Dragon Age. I was like... I destroyed the optional dragon. The last boss was a joke. Like, I, st- I still liked right. a lot of what they did with the lore stuff, though. Like, I I liked the... Was it the Aeroshock? Is that... It's been so long. Yeah. I liked yeah. all the I liked all the stuff with him. I thought that he made a good... Uh, I don't even really want to say villain, and I think that's why he was such an interesting character. Um, well, he, had his, he had his agenda, and he was that's, That stuff was good. The game's been out for a while, so here's a spoiler. I love the part where your mother dies. That was great. It's so, so good. I totally didn't think that the game was going to go there, and then it... Actually, it, something I, I kind of liked and hated at the same time is Anders. Oh, because yeah. Anders was a fucking prick that entire fucking game. And they set it up so that you get the choice of you kill your only healer, <laughs> or do you let him live besides the fact that he's just a fucking terrorist who blew up a church I don't, re- I don't remember what I did I think I forgave him for it I killed him I think I forgave him because I remember the DLC guy got angry at me and left and I was like man I'd be kind of mad about this if I'd paid for him <laughs> see I, I didn't get the, L- the DLC because I got it used oh okay so you didn't, you didn't even have that guy no but like he was my only healer because the other healer that you have I play a role I usually play a role the only healer you have is your sister, and by that point, your sister has been gone for two chapters, right? Oh, yeah, that's I right. I didn't think I was going to get her back. So I was like, do I, like, fuck myself over? And, like, I was just so pissed, and I hated him so much that I just killed him. And, hmm. you know, first, I was thinking, you know, that, that was the worst part of the game. But, you know, the more I thought about it, it's like, the more I like what it did, even though at the time I was really pissed off. Yeah, I think it was, it was a great like choice to have to make. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. good, and it, and it actually winds up being an even better choice when there's this other guy there who is getting all pissed off at you for not doing something about it. So, was it good? I can't remember who the like, other guy well, was. Was he worth having your party? Because I don't, I don't think I used him. I mostly had that uh, the the big booby pirate girl, Isabella. Yeah. There's, there's probably a nicer way to describe her, but you could use her name. I guess so. I didn't remember her name. Chesty Pirate Wench. Chesty Pirate Wench. <laughs> yeah, that one. <laughs> she ended up being the ones of Romans, too. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Gotta get some of that pirate booty. That's the other thing. Is like in Dragon Age, they always have like shitty um, tanks, so I always end up being a tank even though I'm a rogue. <laughs> I, I think I always did... Uh, I think I had picked Rogue in that one too. I think I was a mage in the first Dragon Age, I want to say. But yeah. But anyway. Anyway. So you know, another thing that worries me is that they're focusing so much on the romances and all the promotional bullshit, and that kind of like. I'm kind of, yeah. I'm kind of over the whole romance thing in Bioware games. Like, don't put as big of an emphasis on it. It's really the relationships always end. They're so superficial. It's like this is stupid. It is. I mean. I don't, I like the romances, but I kind of like they're kind of like just a little distraction, right? Like they could not be there, and I would be fine. 
Yeah. I mean, I'd rather they have like a a whole lot. You know, they could have a cool combat system and shit. And they're they're so poorly written that it's like, ugh, whatever. Yeah. You guys just don't don't believe in love. I'm sure this has happened to you, though, in some Bioware game where you ended up romancing somebody that you had no idea. (laughs) That happened to me in Mass Effect 2. Where I was like uh, talking to Jacob and Jacob was like, hey, baby. And I'm like, no. But I was just being nice. <laughs> yeah. Back off. You, you are taking way too many uh, interpretations of this year. Oh, yeah. My shepherd flew kind of close to the danger zone with uh, that Vega guy in the in the last game. Hey, Moco. I didn't even I didn't. I felt like I was just being nice. And he took that as like, hey, you want to come back to my bunk? No. <laughs> You're like, yeah, no. I'll try anything once. <laughs> I mean, Shepard would. I'm sure Shepard would. Mine would. He was a renegade. Oh, you know, he renegade in the sheets. He didn't care. <laughs> Any holes a goal for Shepard. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Um, we spent way too long talking about Dragon Age. There's so much <laughs> other shit that's at the show. Um, let me, let me, so those are the two, like, uh, oh, I didn't even say the second AAA I saw. Um, I finally got some hands-on time with Evolve. And <laughs> it is really, really fun. Like, it always draws this huge crowd at both of the trade shows now that I've seen it at. It always has, like, this enormous crowd that is just impossible to pass. And so I had just kind of relegated myself to being like, well, I'll never play that game just because I can't even reach the booth to play it. And uh, I wound up getting a, a press invite for it, and they, they take you in the back, and we got to play three games of it. And so I got to... I didn't get to be the monster, but I got to do the trapper, the medic, and the support class and uh they're they're all a ton of fun the trapper definitely feels the most important because they have the item that you throw that launches kind of a giant uh sphere thing that traps the monster in it so that he can't run away and is forced to fight you now it's not he's not trapped it's a very big sphere it's not a tiny little ball or anything um so what you're telling me is that if i want to get cursed that that's the class i need to choose kind of yeah so i mean the way that the way that the game is basically structured is the monster more so than the players is kind of incentivized to run away from them and focus on the environment a little bit. So there are NPC mobs, and if you kill them, you'll get bonuses that make you more powerful, uh, the monster included. At least I believe. I didn't get to play as the monster. but um, So you kind of have a choice, which is like rush after the enemy or spend some time like upgrading and getting more abilities and then go try to take him on. But so the monster is always kind of geared towards running from you a little bit. You're actually like really trying to hunt him down. And so the trapper felt extra important because when you finally find him, you throw out this item and then the monster can't run away from you. Or one of the each class has two characters. So there's actually eight characters, but uh, they're they're each split into four classes. So one of the trappers has like a tether that locks the monster to the, to the ground temporarily. And then I I don't even remember what the other one has. I didn't get a chance to, to be him. But anyway, that class felt like super important and it felt very unique because it's not a class that you've ever played in a game like this. But then the second time I got to be the medic and that pretty much felt exactly like what you would expect a medic to feel like. Super fun. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not it's not a bad time, 
it's a little bit of a bummer being like the number one target, <laughs> but that's just that's just the life of the first person shooter healer, right? So these it, this game's made by the same people that made uh, Dead Left for Dead or Left for Dead. Yeah. Is this gonna have like because you play Left for Dead couch co op? Can you do? I, I nobody mentioned if that was going to be a possibility. I wouldn't hold your breath. I I know I shouldn't because who plays on the couch with your friends right next to you? That's lame. Well, if you but I'd at, like to. If you look at the indie games that I saw at the show, that's how most of them are slanted. Like couch co-op is a huge thing in the indie scene right now. It's just not something that AAA's seem to be worried about because you know they're more concerned about spectacle and graphics and. Having a game with great graphics really hampers your ability to do split screen gameplay of any kind, right? Oh, I I know that, but I would like to have a, I don't know, it's just kind of a bummer. So Evolve was a lot of fun. Um, If you want to talk couch co-op, and I've already mentioned it on the site, but I actually think probably my favorite game of the show was a game called Chariot. Did you guys see me talk about that at all? No, I didn't check it. Sorry. So, no, that's that's all right. I I just, you know, wrote it special for everybody. But um, (laughs) Chariot is, well, then maybe you'll like the concept. So Chariot is a game uh, where you play as a princess who is escorting the corpse of her recently deceased father. Oh, Uh, yeah. He's on on a casket with wheels. And what you're doing is you are escorting him to his uh, burial site. But you take him to the first burial site and his ghost appears and is uh, like, this isn't an acceptable place to bury me. He's like, you got to find somewhere better than this. And so you set out on this quest to find a better place to, to bury your dead father. And the way the game works is you have you and you have your uh, the princess's like fiance or whatever. And uh, the two of you are able to if you pull the right trigger you'll shoot a tether out that will lock on to the to the chariot to the uh, coffin that you're pushing around Mm -hmm. and so you can use that to pull the coffin you can use it to if uh, for to give you an idea of like a co-op move i could jump up onto a ledge i could shoot my tether to grab the uh, chariot i could start to reel it in And the other player could also tether to the chariot on the other end and then climb up it to get up to where I'm at. So you can do a lot of that kind of stuff. Uh, The the game, I think they said, is 80% accessible. So you can beat the level, but there's also like puzzle challenge modes that you can do. And some of those require that you have a co-op partner to get to them. But like the core game, you can beat all by yourself. Uh, I think they said 80% of the game's maps are explorable by yourself, but the other 20% you'll actually have to have someone playing with you in order to to get to them. Um, it's kind of like a little bit planet in that sense. Yeah, kind of. And it sort of it actually sort of feels a little like like Little Big Planet too. Uh, it's got a really heavy emphasis on the physics side of things, and like any physics game, it's fun to just kind of mess around, like. You're, you're not really dying to get to the end of a level. You're just kind of dicking around until you just happen to be at the end. Um, hmm. I thought it was a ton of fun, super underappreciated. Like, it was, there's, at, at PAX, there's uh, the expo hall where, like, all the big studios are. And then if you go upstairs in the convention center, tucked away in, like, the back, there's the sixth floor expo hall where they have 
just uh, i mean it's it's okay size but it's where they put a lot of the indies um and it's up there it was up there with them and it it wasn't gathering like huge crowds and i don't get why because it was an awesome game but i actually wound up going back and playing it twice i had so much fun with it wow that's pretty cool so that one is due out a little later this year i think and uh i thought that was a, a ton of fun what else did i get a chance to play while i was there um I guess we should probably talk about this war of mine. Yes. Because you, how much time did you get to spend with it? I spent a couple of hours. I've been playing a lot of things. Oh, okay. So I didn't, I only got to spend maybe like a half hour with it. Uh, But to explain the concept, it's basically a sim game uh, about war, but it's not about being a soldier. It's just about being somebody who lives in like a war torn city and everything's gone to shit, and you're just basically boarded up in a house trying to survive. And so when you start the game, it does like a random roll, and will give you three survivors to manage. So I, I, One of the demo stations had four, but I don't know if he recruited the extra guy or if it can sometimes give you more than three people. But... You, you find uh, extra people when you're running around. Oh, okay, because when, when I was playing, I only had... Uh, three but I saw someone else who had four but either way it's just kind of a point and click it's like it's like half resource management half something else I don't really know how to describe it it's kind of it's, a... it's half crafting and resource management yeah and yeah. the other half is scavenging so craft crafting is very important you're basically building out this house to be you know somewhere that's livable so you'll uh, you know, uh, make a furnace and place the furnace somewhere. You'll, sure. you'll make beds and place the beds. And if, if you don't place them, people don't sleep well and stuff like back that. Up, back up a little bit. So th- there's two sides to the game, right? So there's the, the daytime hours, as they call it. Uh-huh. And there you're stuck in your house and you can leave because snipers will shoot you on sight. Um, you also can be very loud because if you're too loud, then the sniper shoot you on sight. Mm-hmm. So that's the where you're trying to craft things and manage your resources and make sure everybody's healthy. Um, you have to prepare for the nighttime because it gets cold, at least in the playthroughs that I've been to. And if you don't have an appropriate source of heat by the end of the first day, um, things get really bad really fast. Um, and then at night you go out and, and you try to scavenge for supplies. And supplies can be anything from food to, um, you know, sheet metal to make plates to, you know, wood to burn. Um, and then, you, like I said, you have to build out your house, make sure that everybody has beds, make sure that you have a source of heat, make sure you can cook food. Um, you have to clean it up because there's rubble blocking everything, right? And rubble takes a long time to, to move. So that's a major part of kind of how you spend your time. You, you move rubble or do you try to build something, that kind of Thing. And it's it's kind of a game where you don't ever feel that you are okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, where you're always kind of feeling like there's something missing, there's another emergency. Um, it, it feels like you could be wiped out at, at a moment's notice. Right, you feel like you're kind of just just fighting to stay afloat, barely. Uh-huh, yeah. And... You know, it's depressing like only the Eastern Europeans can be <laughs> depressing. Yeah, and so I was actually talking to the game's uh, lead writer, 
and he was making some comments on that that uh you know he's from warsaw poland and that's where the team is based and so you know it's a city that's very familiar with those aspects of war uh yeah. He he said that they tried very hard to not make it political and to specifically like not name where the game takes place or anything like that, but just draw upon like inspiration from, you know, personal stories that they had heard from grandparents and people who lived through uh, World War II and things like that. Um, but I mean, it's really good. Yeah, I, I, I thought uh, it was actually pretty good too. My only, I don't know how you're finding it. My only complaint that I had is. It's made in Poland, so obviously there are some non-native English speakers working on it. And when you make something that's a little melodramatic like this, uh, having rough translation can just totally derail the entire thing. Um, so. And at least the demo I was playing definitely had some moments of that, where people just talked funny and, and it didn't it didn't quite work for me. Um, I agree that that's a bit of an issue. It's- it's but, not a big deal, but it is. It is there, yeah. For the most part, I thought it was pretty good, though. I think, yeah, but it's, it's. I don't know. It's a game that's difficult to recommend. You need a specific kind of person, I think, to enjoy this. Yeah, and uh, the game also. But, it is just in beta right now. That's worth mentioning yeah. too. So there's lot. There's plenty of time to polish up translation and things like that. So. Who knows what they're gonna add? Because uh, it seemed like it has potential to be a much deeper game. Because mm-hmm. right now, I mean, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's not to say it's shallow, because it isn't. But I think it has the potential to be something really much more complex. Which I don't know if they want or not, because I like complex games, but <laughs> I don't know if other people do. I mean, the studio, the the guy I was talking to at least made it sound like, you know, for this developer, this is really like their flagship product. And uh, and definitely what they're you know banking really heavily on right now. They have other projects, but this is their big one. And uh, so I don't I don't know how much it'll change between now and when it actually goes live. I I don't think you're going to see a lot of like heavy duty core gameplay changes. But I I could be wrong. Well, I'm talking about like little details. Like for example, I made a stove to keep warm, but I couldn't cook on it. That kind of just pissed me off. <laughs> you know what I mean? You couldn't. Oh, oh, yeah. That's that's true. You have to make. Um, you have to make a cooking stove if you want to cook. Yeah, there's you. You make you can make an oven or whatever to actually cook, but the furnace or whatever doesn't allow you to to do that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and it kind of you know it's not a big deal again, but it you know it's kind of a game mechanics thing. But uh, and it led to a very interesting choice on my first night, which was do I eat or do I heat up the the apartment. <laughs> yeah, and so that's what that game is full of is you you have such finite resources um and people's kind of status ailments very quickly build up and so it kind of just becomes this question of like okay, which of the three of you gets to eat tonight cuz one of you's not doing it. And uh oh, your back hurts cuz you've been sleeping on the floor. Well, only one bed, so two of you are going to have to keep dealing with that. And you know you have to take like good care of these characters though because they're you're sending some of them out at night to scavenge and do that kind of stuff. Exactly. And uh, have you gotten into any combat yet? I know that that kind of stuff can happen, but I didn't encounter anything. I haven't encountered it yet, but uh, I plan to spend more time with it. The developer was saying that just if you were properly equipped and like bandits came by, then and he didn't really elaborate on how combat worked or what exactly would happen with it. 
but he just said that you know fighting somebody off would would be a uh, an option that you would have in in those scenarios. I've been so paranoid avoiding everybody in that game because you just feel so vulnerable. Like in that sense, it really does its job very well. Like you really feel like you know you you kind of you can die at any moment, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. It's like a more hardcore version of uh, Dark Souls. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 that's an odd connection, but I, I get what you mean. Oh, well, you know, yeah, exactly. You know, you're walking and you know, maybe there's a trap here. Maybe you'll find a boss. Maybe somebody will come in and like bash your heads in so they can take your scrap metal that you need to make a new stove. Yeah, um, I think that people like games like Perfect Paper Please and stuff like that will, will like this. Yeah, it's just a kind of vibe. It puts it puts off a real Papers Please vibe. Def, definitely something that that will feel familiar to fans of that. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So anyway, I can't remember. I think he gave me a release window for it, but. I I talked to so many people. I I overbooked myself at this show. I talked to a lot of people, and it's difficult to remember sometimes who told me what. So <laughs> rather than make a comment on it and get it wrong, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Keep you're a game journalist. You don't need evidence. Shit, man! If I'm a game journalist, I didn't do a very good job. <laughs> it's funny. I bought a. Uh, I went to E3, right? And when I finished E3, I'm like, you know what would have been really helpful for this entire thing is if I had had a voice recorder, a sound recorder. And, like, your phone can do it, but I'm already struggling with battery life on my phone at these conventions. And so, like, it just didn't make sense to pull that out and, uh, and you know, have to try to use that for it. So I actually went on Amazon and I bought a voice recorder, a dedicated device for it. They're kind of expensive because it's such a niche kind of product. Yeah. And I got it. I, I got it and I wasn't even planning on going to PAX yet. I was like, this will come in handy next time I go to a show. And now I'll have it and I won't have to worry about it. So I put it on my desk and uh packs finally rolled around and i was like oh boy and i i packed my bags and i left and on the way to the airport i'm like fuck i forgot the recorder so that's okay like i said you don't need facts you're a journalist a games journalist well so the, then the, the kicker is when i got to seattle i was like well shit i i really should have one because i had way more press appointments for this one than i did at e3 and so i went to best buy and i bought one uh just mm-hmm. just on a whim and i only used it like three times <laughs> So, I the more so much for that. So I own two dedicated voice recording devices, and uh, and only only have three recordings to show for it. Fantastic. So I don't know. It was it was interesting. Um, what else was at? I mean, we may as well see if there's any other games that are worth talking about. There's a couple that uh, were were pretty good or pretty interesting. You could always tell. Um. So some some people at, at PAX are really friendly, and most most people are. I would say that most of the people I encountered were very friendly, but there are definitely some people who maybe it feels like a publisher is making them talk to you, and so they're not as inclined. Um, and I could always tell when a press meeting was going to go badly because it would start with the person who was my point of contact asking me, "Okay, so what do you want to see?" And like that, that to me means that we're not going to have a good time because it's, it's like going, it's like going to the dentist and you sit in the chair and he, and he reclines the chair back and then he's like, all right, so what do you want me to look at? 
um, yeah, my right? my teeth. Exactly. So I'd walk up to these guys and be like, "What do you want to see?" I'm like, "The the game, please." <laughs> and they're like, "What what in the game?" I what I I don't even know how to answer that question. Like, show me the racism. Some of these I didn't even know what the game was going to be. Like, I would I would get there and then find out. Like when I went to see this war of mine, I didn't know what that was. I I hadn't really heard the trailer for it shows you nothing. So like I tried yeah. to do a little bit of research before I got there and there wasn't really a lot to see. So um I, I got to him and he and he was cool. I'm not saying that that I, I'm not gonna name any names about who was uh less than thrilled to talk to me, but there were definitely some people at that show who are like not super psyched to meet you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but for the most part, everybody was very nice. So that was that was great. Uh, I didn't get a chance to play Bloodborne. Um, the oh. line the line was way too long, and if Sony was making press appointments, it was with people way more popular than us. Um, what else? Assassin's Creed. We we still don't have a great link to Ubisoft. I guess Assassin's Creed was playable somewhere, but not a place I was invited to. So I didn't get to play with that one either. Um, I did play a game. That I, I played a couple of games that I really liked. One of them was called Cannon Brawl. Have you guys seen any any Cannon of Brawl? Cannon Brawl. So it's this it's this kind of weird game where it's a it's a two D like like battle arena kind of thing, and it's two players. And basically, on each side of this two D map, you have a castle, mm-hmm. and both of you control an airship. And the game works best with a controller, at least it felt like it did to me. And so you fly around in this airship, and what you can do with it is you can build uh, cannons, basically. Or you could build, there are, there are uh, points on the map that have gold, so you could build a mine on there, and you'll accumulate gold faster. Um, and that's how you build more units. So you build these cannons out, and you upgrade these cannons, and then... You can actually go over to them and press A while you're hovering over it with the airship, and you'll actually go into the cannon and you can aim it kind of kind of in a fashion similar to like Angry Birds or uh, the comparison that the developer made to me was Scorched Earth. It kind of feels a little bit like that, but mm-hmm. you basically aim at the other person and your goal is just to hit their castle enough times that their castle blows up. But of course, they're doing the exact same thing to you, so it becomes a question of like do I try to attack their weapons? Um, do I put up shields? There are shields that you can put up in, in a line. Um, what's my strategy? Do I want to flood the map with cannons or do I want to just upgrade a few choice spots? You know, um, you can also, I, I didn't necessarily get a chance to play with this too much, but it seems like you can also uh, beat people in ways other than destroying their castle. So like there's a, there's a weapon that is basically a giant drill and I watched a demo thing where somebody basically drilled out the ground beneath the castle and it fell off the map and, and the other player won. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Lots of little stuff like that. But the game's awesome. It plays it's it's like Angry Birds, but for two people. I don't really know how to describe it, it but it's also got the strategy component mixed into it. And normally this is a game I would hate. Like the the micromanagement and kind of the the Starcraftian nature of it and building your infrastructure and stuff like that, it's all the kind of stuff that I don't like. But this was really approachable and really fun, 
and uh, I, I really had a pretty good time with it. So I, that, that's another one that maybe is worth looking at from the show. Hmm. But that's coming. That's coming out. I think in just like two weeks. I, I think September nineteenth is what they said. Okay. So that one will be available pretty soon. Um, I think that's. I mean, I saw a ton of shit at the show, but I'm struggling to think of anything that I haven't already covered on the site, or or that won't be covered in the near future. So what about game four? Oh shit! Game four is uh, is pretty crazy. I guess let, let's talk about two more that come to my mind. Um, so game four is of course by the Behemoth, who made Castle Crashers and uh, Battle Block Theater and Alien Hominid. Doug and I have some some deep love for Alien Hominid, or or at least the PDA games component PDA. to it. PDA games definitely more than Alien Hominid. Yeah, I mean, Alien Hominid was okay, too, but PDA Games is kind of... Castle Crashers was pretty cool. That was our fucking jam, was PDA Games. So, <laughs> And then Battle Block Theater came out, and it was based on PDA Games, so that was pretty cool. But basically, this is... So, all of their games are action games, right? And this is their attempt at a strategy RPG, or I like to call them tactical RPGs, because I'm always reminded of Final Fantasy Tactics. Okay. But it's basically their attempt to make a game like that. And in a lot of these RPGs, what your goal is, is to send a unit out and then issue commands to it. Like, be like, move here and cast this spell. And that can kind of prove to be inaccessible for some people. Like, it it makes it a more complex game. So what they've kind of done here is the concept with with game four is you equip your units and you set them up in the way that you want them to kind of behave. So if you want someone to be a wrecker who breaks through shields, give him a mace. If you want somebody to kind of serve as a defensive tower, not tower, but like a defensive unit, give him a shield. And you get all your units set up and customized with the equipment that you want in order for the way you want them to behave. And then what you do is you take them out onto the map, but you never actually issue specific commands to them. You just put the unit where you want them to go, and if they're touching an enemy, then they'll attack that enemy, basically. Um, okay. So it, it takes a, a large component out of the tactical RPG, but in doing so, it makes it feel more accessible and simpler. Um, and it's a lot of fun. The whole game is going to be two-player co-op, uh, from, from what they told me. Uh, it has kind of a, after you fight in a battle, I didn't necessarily get to demo this, but I, I was, uh, I was told about it. After you fight in a battle, the last unit that's left, you'll have an option to recruit them and put them onto your team. And so there's kind of like a monster collection aspect to the game too, where you can build this massive, massive army and then manage all their equipment and manage the way they look and customize them. And then once you've got a team that you're happy with, you basically just send them out, place them in the places you think they should go, and then they do the rest of the work for you, essentially. So it's Pokemon. Kind, kind of. So do you get to see the multiplayer role? They didn't have it running, unfortunately. No. So I didn't get to so see What I really think this is going to sh- shine is in multiplayer. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. And that's always kind of been where the behemoth is. I, I mean, Couch Co-op is just, it's that's their company, right? Like, that's what they're all about. 
So right. I'm sure that that tradition is going to continue. And I think that that's going to be probably the most unique thing about the game. It doesn't necessarily feel like something that nobody has ever done before. Um, but it does feel like while I was playing it, this is a game that I would almost certainly play with my wife, for example, uh, just because she's usually the person that I would play a couch co-op game with. And normally a strategy RPG is not something I would give to her, but I feel like we both could sit down and play through this game pretty easily. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. That's really where, at least for me, the appeal of a simplified tactical RPG would lie. It's in being able to play with a friend. Well, and I don't. I, w- I want to paint it as accessible. I don't know how much I want to paint it as simple. So maybe I need to change my verbiage a little bit. I think it seems like it's very easy to get into. But even in the battles that I was playing, obviously the difficulty had kind of been turned down a little bit. I could definitely see scenarios where I would have wiped if I was playing on a final version. Hmm. Um, but, you know, you don't want people to be dying all the time in a demo on a show floor. And so... I think that the game was... Maybe I do. Maybe you do. Maybe you're crazy. Uh, but for me, at least, it, it felt like it was probably, you know, it probably had, like, some kid gloves on to make it a little easier for me. But Interesting, man. Game 4 was very cool. I think maybe the last one that's worth talking about, uh, I'll probably do a full article for it on the site because he's one of the three people I actually got, like, a full recorded interview with. Um have either of you guys heard of Gigantic? Gigantic, yeah. Yes, you, I have. You know it, Doug? Um, no, I think we you mentioned a little bit about it, though. So, so it's a MOBA, which pretty much turns me off almost immediately. Yeah, um, me too. Let's go ahead. <laughs> but I, figured, I figured I'd give it the benefit of the doubt. It's an action kind of themed one. It's not like a clicky-clicky or anything like that. Um, it's a third-person action game. And here's what's kind of unique about it. You control these characters. uh, It's two teams. And each team has a guardian or a giant monster, basically, that's on their team. And Mm -hmm. you go out and capture these control points. It has kind of a very battlefield-y feel to it. Um, But once you've captured these control points and summoned all these support creatures, um, after you've gathered enough power, basically, your your guardian will attack the other team's guardian and it will knock them onto the onto its back and that is your team's chance to run in and basically hit that guardian's weak spot to do damage to it and if he gets up before you're able to hit him then he doesn't you don't do any damage to him and the game just moves on like normal um but the goal is to basically kill the other team's guardian and it requires a lot of strategy because like you'll know that your guardian is about to go attack the other one and make him vulnerable And so you really have to get with your team and be like, okay, guys, let's wait here. And then once he attacks, let's all run out. And like, you go here and you go here and you do this. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, like with any good MOBA, teamwork is very, very essential. Um, You have to be kind of ready to address these scenarios as they come to you. There are a ton of characters in the game. I think there were 12 available in the demo that I was doing, but I want to say there are 20 total that they have planned out. Um, The guy who I was interviewing with wouldn't tell me what their pricing structure is because he probably doesn't even necessarily know. <laughs> um, they wanted to emphasize that they want it to be fair and they want you know to put players first, but I've never talked to anybody at, at these shows who's doing a free-to-play and is like, I want to screw the players as hard as I can. 
Like, of course he's going to... Well, they're not going to tell you, at least. He had some very tactical answers to my questions on pricing. Um, <laughs> I played I played two games that are going to have free-to-play models, and I tried to ask them kind of all the same questions, and they all have the very similar, like, stock answers of, you know, we're going to make sure it's a fair system. So he wouldn't tell me what they're going to monetize, but if your game has 20 characters, I don't think you have to be... Uh, like Stephen Hawking to see what they're probably gonna, yeah, you know, put behind a paywall, right? So, I'm pretty sure that they're probably gonna go like a League of Legends route and lock down the characters for what you can play without paying. That's that's my guess. Yeah, I mean that's it's probably a pretty good bet. Well, League of Legends is like the standard for monetization, right? So. I, so this developer, um, they they worked up twenty million dollars in private funding to start the company. So this is the company's first game. I think they're called Matiga. I want to say um, private funding, not Kickstarter. Bullshit. Yeah, yeah. So a little unique. They're not Kickstarter. They're not like in early access or anything like that. Um, they had a massive presence at the show. Like you can absolutely see where that twenty million dollars went. Um, <laughs> The the demo oh. that I was the demo that I was in was probably seventy percent, maybe eighty percent Motiga staff in the room, and then twenty percent other people playing. <laughs> the the whole uh, they they weren't on the show floor. They were on they were in the Sheraton, which is where Pax puts a lot of the theaters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that whole theater was just crawling with with their employees like just a ton 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 of people uh were, were there and so i mean it's got a lot of backing it's got a lot of power you're going to see a lot of marketing for it it's uh and it, it looks really good like the the actual graphical fidelity for the game it looks great it it really really has awesome art direction and looks really nice. I just, of course, worry about how exactly they're going to execute that free-to-play model. And I guess we'll see when it comes out how exactly that works. But I've got my suspicions already, and we'll see if I'm right. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, more of us are in my thing. But... Yeah, well, there's not well, enough I of was... them. So, I mean, what's room for one more? True. It was, it was more unique than most of the ones that I've seen or played. I, I will say that about it. Like to its credit, I don't necessarily think they're innovating per se, but I think they've created something that is offering an experience that nobody else is is doing. Um, having said that, the nature and importance of teamwork in the game, I think, is ultimately there's no way that they're not going to get like the exact same like poisonous evil community that some yeah. of the, that some of the other popular mobas have. I was going to say that, but then I wasn't, and now you so, did. So, yeah. ma- matter of fact, even the the guys who were walking me through like the demo, even they seemed to be kind of frustrated with how bad I was doing. <laughs> and it's like, dude, you're not even like a player yet. Like, wait for the game to come out before you're getting angry at me for being bad at it. No, you must know how to do it immediately. I mean, like, they were they were very nice people, and they weren't like yelling oh, at me yeah, or anything. But I could definitely, I could definitely tell that they were getting a little exasperated with how bad some of us were doing. That's Are you trying to this. tell me that you weren't born with an innate knowledge of how to play mobas? No, and uh, like I said, it doesn't even really play like a traditional one. So I, I don't know what they expected from me. But 
expect you to too be casual. good and not suck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I am. Expect I am, you not to be a casual. I am pretty casual. Um, I won all the Evolve games I played, so how's that for casual bitches? Evolve's yeah. casual game. Yeah, yeah. It, it totally is. Super cash. But anyway, yeah, uh, I think that for the most part, that's a pretty good summary of what I saw. We will probably have a little bit more PAX coverage on the, on the site. I'm, I was working on a video. I got some B-roll footage from a lot of the games that I liked. So I'm going to try and put together a video to kind of show them off and maybe do them better justice and have kind of better explanations than what I've been able to give. But uh, So keep an eye out for that. Maybe that'll be coming soon. Is there anything else that you guys want to talk about? or? Well, you know, since, since you were running around in uh, sunny Seattle... Um, I was here playing Kickstarter isometric computer RPGs in the size tiles of the 90s. Oh, and shit. I, played, I totally forgot about that. And I totally, you know, I, I played Lords of Shulima, which I talked about already. I played Destiny, which we talked about at length. But I've been playing probably the best of them so far in this Wasteland 2. You say, and, you say uh, that's the best of, of them that you've been playing? So far, yeah. How, so I take it it's good? It's good. Um, so, for those who, of you who know the story, Wasteland was originally made by Brian Fargo. He then moved into Interplay and lost the rights, so he had to do the sequel under the name of a game called Fallout, which I'm sure you know never went anywhere. And, uh, you know, it's a franchise that has died and nobody has heard of. That actually, I, it very well may be a franchise that has died. <laughs> That's beside the point. I thought it was that already, but that's a story for another time. We were not running long. But um, so when the rights got sold to Bethesda, he tried to make um, a sequel to Wasteland. He wanted to make it kind of more similar to Fallout 1 and Fallout 2 than to, um, you know, Fallout 3 and New Vegas. And of course, nobody was having it, right? So he was one of the first people to go to Kickstarter with a dream of resurrecting the franchise. And so Wasteland plays a lot like Fallout 2. Uh, it has the same type of uh, action point um, oriented combat. Um, but I think the biggest difference is that you have, you can create a team of four people. And there's a strange alchemy to the way that the classes interact with each other. They're not even classes, they, they use uh, like the same type of open. Uh, ended system that the special system has where you can, you know, select different stats and different skills. Mm -hmm. The way the game is set up and is that you need to have characters that have some variety of skills, but you can definitely not have a jack of all trades because that person is going to get killed. Like, that's just not going to work. So you need, you need to have a guy who is good at, you know, stabbing people and talking, for example. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to have a guy that's good with uh, guns, either long range or, you know, short range. Um, you need to have somebody who's good at melee. You need to have somebody who's a good medic. Um, and like I said, you know, if you make somebody that's very focused on one thing, like one of the mistakes I made in my first playthrough is uh, I made a guy that was all all talk. Like, he he was my a social guy and, you know, I was going to, like, talk my way out of shit with them and um, that didn't really work because now it's really easy to stab him in the face. <laughs> and uh, so he doesn't work very well at that. Um, so, so, I know so it's not the kind of game where you could... Because that's always my favorite way to play 
Like I, I played a lot of New Vegas that way where I was just like a, a fast talker. And I remember like talking my way out of the final boss battle. So like that's not the kind of thing I'm going to be able to do. Or You can talk your way out of stuff. You can talk your way into stuff, but it's not going to solve all of your problems. Mm, okay. So you're going to have to fight. Uh, one of the things that... So, so uh, are you guys familiar with Fallout Tactics at all? I actually never played Fallout Tactics. Neither did I. So it's kind of, I guess, um, combat is kind of a more advanced version of that. Um, you don't have a setup phase, so you know you start where you start, and the enemy starts where it starts. And um, you know you spend your action points, but you have to kind of try to do, do flanking and positioning to make sure that you don't get wiped out. So it's a hard game. It's not meant for you to, so is to it, sit down. And, is it kind of play like XCOM? Maybe is that a fair comparison? Yeah. Yeah, it is a bit like XCOM. They even actually stole the, um, you know, those rings where it tells you where you can move and do an action and then just move? Yeah. They stole that. So. Oh, okay, <laughs> perfect. Uh, and there, there's also cover now, so, you know, which Fallout didn't have. Um, so that's combat, and it's very deep. And the game is very atmospheric. It's, you can definitely tell that this was something that they've been wanting to do for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, the world building is great. Um it does the same thing that the old followers used to do where, you know, you can just go whatever you want and, you know, hope you're ready for what waits for you there. But you can go if you want to. Um, like the first thing I did was there, there was this cloud of radioactive waste blowing through one area. And I walked through it and I got stuck in an area with really high level enemies where I couldn't possibly go back. So, you know, I, I already knew what was going to happen and I kind of had a save ready to go back. But the game will let you do it. Like, it won't tell you not to. Another thing that they do that's very interesting is it has some resource management to it. So when you're walking on the wasteland, um, you need to make sure that you have enough water. Mm-hmm. And that kind of puts uh, a level of, uh, I want to say, like, interactivity to the game. Because you can't just click on one point on the map and just walk. So, you know, if you want, you have to go somewhere to complete a mission... You walk to that place, you can just, you know, click on it and, you know, avoid any encounter. You need to look for water on the way. And watering holes are usually surrounded by enemies. So, you know, you will have to have some combat or, you know, interact with them in some way. Mm -hmm. So that adds like a whole layer of complexity already to the the game. It's not already as simple as just, you know, clicking and going. Right, right. Sounds uh, like there's a little more to it than that. So, like, in Fallout 2, for example, you could speedrun the game by putting your luck up to 10, so uh-huh. you wouldn't get any encounters, and running all the way to the final city, picking up a set of power armor, and then just going through a dialogue of options with the enemies, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably wouldn't be able to do that here. Oh, okay. Because you will probably run out of water, and that will force you to, to go into combat at some point. That sounds like probably an improvement over the. Although there's something, there's something I admire about like the Fallout or or like to watch the Morrowind speedruns, you know, where they beat the game in like six minutes or something. I mean, you know, speedrunners will probably figure it out, but yeah, they'll they'll solve that mystery at some point. But um, you know, it seems that they're trying to make a honest effort to kind of address. Um, some of the stuff that came with the old games. Uh-huh. And um, one of the things that they did is, 
it's basically it still has the same type of um, of design philosophy as you know all the old games, mm-hmm. but they are definitely trying to make the um, the interface more modern and you know easier to use. Mm-hmm. So you know it doesn't feel like you're playing an old game, if you know what I mean. Yeah, like it doesn't feel like you're playing again that's from the nineties. It has that type of um, of design philosophy but it feels like you're playing a modern game it sounds like a game that has like a very old school kind of tone and philosophy to it but um has just been updated a little bit like uh, some people may disagree but i feel like fallout 3 and new vegas are kind of good attempts to bring the fallout series to to modern gaming but i Mm -hmm. i think that there are plenty of people out there who would say that they have you know nothing compared to fallout 2 and aren't and even close. And I'm one of those people, so like... Yeah, so is this is this to you a more pure sequel to Fallout than Fallout 3? I think so, yeah. And you, you can tell there's a lot of... Uh, you know, the rangers that are the um, the people that you work for in that in, in the game, their story is very similar to the Brotherhood of Steel, right? So, you know, they're uh-huh. military that somehow survived the you know, the apocalypse and they came out and they were like, well, the world is shit, so let's start to rebuild something. Um, you know, they're not as hardcore as a brotherhood mm-hmm. in terms of secrecy, but, you know, it's kind of the same principle. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of the concepts are there. It's extremely atmospheric. Now, is that, is, um, is that game done? They were, they've had so many delays and moved the release date around. Are you, are you playing a final product right now, or is it still... I'm playing the early access version. Okay. It feels pretty done. I don't see where what else they can... You don't see what else they're going to have to do before it's officially... I mean, they're probably cleaning up the box and you know stuff like that, but it's pretty polished right now. Yeah, okay. All right, well, good deal. Do you, do you recall when that is supposed to release? We've put like two articles up on the side about it, I feel like. September 19th. September. Uh, oh, okay. I plan to have a review up by then. Great. So right around the corner. Actual review. Yeah. Let's um, look out for that. So let's do this. Uh, I want to talk about Professor Layton and Phoenix Wright, but we're not going to have time today. And I feel like that would be a disservice to talk about it without Jay, because I think the, the, that's a game that he's going to appreciate as well. So let's save that for next week. Um, I know that Doug had mentioned that he had been playing... Uh, a, a real smash hit, which is the new Diablo that they re-released on the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4. Are you playing it on the PlayStation 4? Yeah, I rented it from the PlayStation 4. So, tell me why. We're so over on time. Tell me why, in one minute, <laughs> I, All right. sh- I should get this game. Well, I don't think you would like it, but this is it's, it plays better than it did on the PC. Like, I kind of wish that I didn't have it on the PC so I could play it all over again straight from the console. Because I can just sit back on the couch or lay in bed and just control the character without having to constantly click my mouse. And it, it just, I don't know, everything that they've done has made it a lot funner, a lot faster to get into, and just, just a, lot, a lot better, I think. I think the console version is a step above the PC version in, in almost every way. Almost every. What what are the ways that you think it might be considered inferior? Um, I mean, some of the abilities, like, it's not as ad-precise on targeting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mostly play melee characters, so it doesn't really bother me much. But I could see if you wanted to pay, be like their a wizard character that it might get, start getting a little more frustrating. Might might be a little more difficult. But if you want to play a melee character, then I did. I had I encountered almost no problems with the targeting really. And this this package includes the original and the expansion, right? Yep. But it doesn't it doesn't carry over characters or anything. So you're you're starting over from the beginning when you're playing it, right? Yeah. So I, I started as the new Crusader character, which I had never played before. So mm, yeah. So yeah, it was it was really fun. Like if I hadn't already bought it, I probably would pick it up. But I've already played through most of it, and I just can't justify spending another sixty for uh, for seventy percent of the game that I've already played and beaten. Right, the same game again, especially not but, with, not with Destiny out, right? Yeah. <laughs> but if you if you haven't if you haven't bought Diablo and you were kind of on the fence for it, then I would say go ahead and pick up the console versions. But so. But so if I hate Diablo, I I don't think it's going to I think you might enjoy it slightly more, but I don't if you don't like Diablo, it's not going to make you love it. It's still a basically a loot a dungeon crawler game. So if you don't like those kind of games, it's not going to make you love them. I just uh, I don't know what it is. It's just it's never it's never worked for me. Sorry, guys. Don't know what to say. All right. Well, I would say that's pretty good, right? Yeah. That's perfect. All right. Well, like I said, next week we'll talk about uh Phoenix Wright, Professor Layton. We also we haven't scheduled this or anything yet, but The Walking Dead just wrapped up, which means that we're gonna have to do our uh Walking Dead cast. cast. The the prophecy has foretold a, a Walking Dead cast. Are you done with the series, Doug, or have you not caught up yet? I have two more episodes. So what, what about you, Lucio? Where are you at? <laughs> I haven't started episode uh, season two, but I'll, I'll, I'll get on it. But that's where you are, is season two? Uh, season two, episode one. Okay. So, I, fucking hurry up. God. <laughs> I'll, I'll get on that. It's so crazy, the ending. Uh, oh, as man. As, as soon as I finish, uh, you know, the uh, massive... Oh, wham, wham, wham. I'm busy. I don't have time to play the... the it's It's like a six-hour game. Come on, you can do it. <laughs> Call in sick to work, and uh, and just get it done. But anyway, we'll we'll talk about that at some point. We'll we'll get that going in the next couple weeks, maybe. I don't know, two or three weeks. You need to understand that I'm in hiding because I'm in the blacklist. So, <laughs> yeah, I heard about that. <laughs> anyway, so hey, thank you for joining us today. I, I hope the the podcast was was flavored just the way you like it. Um, if you want to read more of our exploits, you can go check us out at enemyslime.com. If you want to follow us on Facebook or Twitter, we would welcome that as well. We're at The Enemy Slime on both of those services. Uh, if you haven't already, go subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or add the RSS to your phone or whatever. However the kids are, are getting this shit nowadays, go do that. And uh, yeah, I think other than that, that's it. So with that, we and are... Oh, and if you want uh, any... Douglas Nudes, just uh, send me an email at douglasunchained at yahoo.com. <laughs> I think with that, we're out. We, not, we can't talk this week. There you go. douglasunchained at yahoo.com. Email him with your full mailing address, and uh, we, will get, we will get some good stuff sent out to you. So. All right. All right. Now, now we are almost certainly out. <laughs>